All right. Well, as we've been going through this studies, this study in Ephesians, we have seen that Paul, writing this letter, wanted the people in Ephesus and the surrounding churches to see that there is so much more to life with God than just being saved, just knowing that they're saved. There's so much more beyond that. It's not about us just being able to say, yeah, I'm saved. I'm going to spend eternity in heaven with God. No, there are things that God wants to do in and through us while we are here on this earth. He has purpose for us. He wants us to be united as his body, as the church on the earth today that he can flood through and do amazing things through. And so throughout this letter of Ephesians, he tells us how to walk it out, to walk in love, to walk in light, to walk in wisdom, to walk in gratitude. Maureen did such a great job last week touching on those things. And now he starts talking about how we walk out our relationships. And he actually started talking about relationships at the end of chapter 5. So Maureen got us started on that last week, talking about the marriage relationship. And we're not going to go back and reteach that, but I just wanted to mention it because I want you to see a common thread throughout all three of these types of relationships that Paul talks to us about. First, in chapter 5, towards the end, he talked about the marriage relationship, that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church, and wives are to respect and honor our husbands, really, just as the church honors Christ. And it's painting a picture for us of the relationship between the church and Christ. Christ as the bridegroom and the church, us, as his bride. And it's showing us that our marriage relationship should be a reflection of the relationship between Christ and his church. And so we should be asking ourselves, how am I doing as a wife? Am I honoring and respecting my husband in the same way that I honor and respect Christ? Hmm. Think back on this week. If you had any little irritation or conflict with your husband, did you honor and respect him as you would Christ? little food for thought, things to think about, because we really have the ability in our relationships to reveal more of God to those around us, to the one we're in relationship with, and to those around us who are looking on. And so now we're going to talk about a few other relationships that Paul continues on here talking about in chapter 6, and he starts out by talking about the parent-child relationship. So let's look at verse 1 of chapter 6. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now, it says here that this is a commandment 
with a promise attached to it. And when I see that, that gets my attention because that's just like a freebie. You know, God's just saying, okay, if you want this, if you want it to be well with you and have long life, then do this, obey and honor your parents. Oh, okay, if that's a promise from God, I know he doesn't lie. So if I do this, I can be assured that I will have this, right? And at any age, even when we're grown, we should still be honoring our parents. You know that word honor, it literally means to value. At every age, we should be valuing our parents. And I know you probably, those of you with little ones at home, probably quote this verse quite often to them. <laughs> but for all of us, we should all be valuing our parents at every age. And then it talks about fathers, but it's literally referring to parents here. So moms, this includes you. It says, do not provoke your children to anger. So what does that mean? Like, do your kids get a little bit angry when you discipline them? Does that mean that you shouldn't discipline them? Do you know that one of the greatest ways that our Heavenly Father shows His love to us is by disciplining us, lovingly disciplining us to train us up to be more like him. In Hebrews 12, 6, it says that the Lord chastens those he loves. It literally means that he disciplines those he loves. And when you look at it in the original writing, it says he trains up his children by discipline. He trains us up because he loves us. He disciplines us because he loves us. So, of course, we shouldn't avoid disciplining children because we think, oh, well, we don't want to provoke them to wrath. We don't want them to become angry. In Proverbs twenty-two fifteen, it says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child and the rod of correction will drive it far from him. And then in Proverbs twenty-three thirteen, it says, do not withhold correction from a child. So, obviously, God's not contradicting his his word, but it's in how we do that. And we have the example of our loving heavenly father. So the child's role is to obey, honor, and value parents. And the parent's role is to love and train up their children. And so once again, just like we saw the marriage relationship paralleled our relationship with Christ, once again, we see the parent-child relationship paralleling and mirroring our relationship with God as our loving, heavenly Father. So our parent-child relationships on this earth should reveal that relationship to others around us who are looking on. So we should be asking ourselves, okay, how am I doing? How am I doing as a daughter? Am I honoring my parents as I would honor and value my heavenly father? Food for thought. As mothers, to think about, are you training up? Are you loving and training up those children in the same way that our loving Heavenly Father does for us. Anybody have a child or a parent absolutely drive you crazy this past week? <laughs> Don't look at the mommy table back there. <laughs> a few hands raised. <laughs> we need to stop and ask ourselves, how are we responding? Is our response reflecting that of 
our Heavenly Father, or as daughters, how we value our Heavenly Father, okay? And then it goes on to talk about another relationship between bondservants and masters. So let's look at what this says in verse 5. Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Okay, let's talk about this. A bond servant literally is one who serves another willingly, who willingly puts themselves in a position of serving another person. So in today's world, we could liken this relationship to an employee-employer relationship, or a volunteer leader relationship, one serving another in any capacity like that, okay? And it says that as the one serving, we should obey. It means we should follow through with what we are asked to do with a pure heart as if we are doing it for Christ himself. And then it says that we should not do it with eye service as man-pleasers. We shouldn't have any other motive or agenda. First, we should do it with a pure heart, not grudgingly, not rolling our eyes behind the scenes or with a bad attitude. And we shouldn't have any other agenda. It's not to show off. It's not to score points with the boss or to make yourself look good, but to be servants of God, doing the will of God, which is obeying those we serve and serving them as we are serving the Lord himself, not another person, okay? That's the, the way that we should be serving others. And then it talks to those who are in positions of authority, whether it's the employer or a leader. It says, now you do the same. Don't be threatening those who are serving you. In other words, don't abuse your authority. But as those in positions of authority, we need to remember that we are also servants. We are servants of our master, Jesus Christ. And we need to learn from his role as the master of our lives. And you know, he gave us the greatest example of leadership. The greatest example of being a servant leader, serving those who serve him, doesn't he? And we need to learn from that example. Christ doesn't, doesn't rule over us with an iron fist. He serves us as we serve him. He came to be a servant of all, and we need to learn from that example. And so once again, in this third type of relationship that Paul addresses here, we see a correlation to the relationship between Christ and his church, because Christ is our master. And as the church, we serve him. So our relationship with those that we serve should reflect that relationship between Christ and the church. You see, how we navigate our relationships, ladies, is really important to God. It really matters to him.
And the way that we navigate will reveal more of God to others, to that one we're in relationship with, and those looking on, or it might reveal something else depending on how we navigate that relationship. But remember, this letter of Ephesians, Paul's telling us he wants to pour through us. He wants us to be united as his church on the earth, his body. He wants his fullness to pour through us. So he's telling us, let my fullness pour through you in your relationships. Let your relationships mirror that relationship between him and the church. Okay? It's important to him. It, and it will make a difference in the person that we are in relationship with, but also to those who are on the outside looking in. Because there are always people watching us. There are always people learning from how we navigate our relationships. What are they learning from how you navigate your relationships? Hopefully, they're learning more of God. Okay, now Paul, after he talks about these relationships, now he concludes this letter of Ephesians by talking about the armor of God. And it's as though Paul is saying, okay, now, now that I've reminded you who you are in Christ, now that I've shown you and reminded you that God's brought you out of your old nature into a new nature in Christ. And now that I've reminded you and shown you all that he wants to do through you as you're united as his body and as his church on the earth, and I've given you tools of how to do that and told you how to walk and how to navigate your relationships so that you can accomplish this and, I, and that God can fulfill his purposes through you now, now, in conclusion, here is one final vital bit of advice. In verse 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You know, we try to do things in our own strength so often, don't we? You're not admitting it, but I know you do. I do. I, I lead, I'll lead the way in that. I try to do things in my own mind, in my own strength, and I have to stop and remind myself that I need God's strength. God did not create us to run off doing things in our own strength because he wants us to do things that are beyond our own human ability. He wants to do the supernatural through us, but it only happens when we take on his strength right? Okay, and then he tells us how to do that. In verse 11, he says, put on the whole armor of God. If we're going to walk in his strength, we've got to put on his armor. And then it proceeds to tell us why. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places, literally in the spirit realm. You know, I think sometimes people still view the devil as a little cartoon character in his red suit with his horns and his pitchfork. And... We don't recognize that he is real. He is not a cartoon character. 
He is real. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be alert and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And then in John 8, 44, it says that the devil is a liar. Not only is he a liar, he is the father of lies. Now, we don't need to be afraid of him because God has already given us victory over the enemy. We just need to walk in that victory. And we are going to see this morning how the armor will cause us to walk in victory over the enemy. But before we get to that, I want us to learn a couple things about the enemy's tactics. Okay, first of all, we need to recognize that he is not omnipresent. He is not everywhere. So often we hear people say, oh, the enemy, he's just, he's just always on my back. He's just always hunting me down. He is not omnipresent. He is not everywhere. But he works in a variety of ways. And one of the big ways that he works is simply through our old nature our sinful, fallen human nature. That nature that's the old man that God delivered us out of and gave us a new nature, that old nature is the nature of the enemy. It's that sinful nature. It follows after his ways. And so as believers, we've been given a new nature. But how many of you have discovered that sometimes that old nature tries to crop up? Anybody ever discovered that? Yeah, you're, most of you are perfect in here. I have discovered that, okay? Sometimes that old nature tries to pop up, and we need to recognize that that old nature is in alignment with the enemy, has the character of the enemy, and our old nature is at war with our new nature. Okay? And so the enemy will try to get us off track by following our old nature. It can be a spiritual battle to walk in our new nature. But God created us with his help in his strength to walk in that new nature. So sometimes the enemy works by trying to lure us off through our old nature. But did you ever notice that sometimes the enemy tries to work by someone else's old nature? Now that one you all say yes to. <laughs> Sometimes someone else allows their old nature to pop up and attack us in some way or another, offend us or hurt us. And you know what? If they are a believer, we need to recognize that's not really who they are. That's their old nature, and we need to pray for them. We cannot afford to let someone's old nature cause us to respond out of our old nature. We need to respond out of our new nature and love them and pray for them and recognize it's an attack from the enemy. That's not really who they are. So it's not a personal attack. It's an attack from the enemy. Okay? And treat it for what it is and respond out of our new nature. 
But then sometimes people may come against us out of their sinful nature because that's all they know, because they haven't come to the Lord yet. They haven't come to find out that they have a new nature. They haven't been redeemed yet. So of course they're going to operate out of that fleshly sinful nature. What else could we expect? But did you know the way that we respond may just be the very thing that will draw them closer to God? or push them further from God. We need to make sure we are responding out of our new nature. And then another thing I want us to recognize about the enemy's tactics is that most often, most of his tactics will begin with a lie because he is the father of lies. That's who he is. That's his nature. That's what he does. His tactics have not changed since the beginning of time. So we need to recognize it. Be good at recognizing them immediately when they come. Because think about it. That's exactly what he did with Eve in the garden. He came to her with a lie and got her to disbelieve what God had told her and believe what he was telling her. And if the enemy can get us to believe what he's telling us over what God is telling us, then we open the door for him to come in and get us off course. Think about this with me. If he starts lying to you, telling you that you're not going to make it, this, this isn't going to work, things are going to fall apart, This that everything is going to going to fall apart. You're not going to make it. It's, everything's going to turn into a mess, whatever your situation might be. And you start listening to those lies, and then you start believing those lies. Once you embrace and believe those lies, we take a step over here off of our course with God, and we open that door. And once we embrace that lie and we're over here, it becomes easier and easier to believe one lie after the next, after the next, after the next. And before you know it, we're off course in bondage to fear in our lives. And that's what the enemy wants, because if he can hold us in bondage, he can prevent us from going forward in God and being all that God created us to be. And so we've got to recognize his lies and refuse to believe them, because whether it's with fear or confusion or depression or obsessions or addictions or whatever it might be, he wants to get us held in bondage. He wants that thing to become a stronghold in our lives. That is his goal. And if he can get us to open the door, believing his lie, we are one step closer to going in that direction. And I really feel so strongly that somebody here today needs to hear this. If you find yourself in a battle, and maybe you're really wrestling with something that has become a bondage in your life. I want you to trace your steps back to when that started and recognize what were you believing. Ask yourself, what was I believing at that time? Were you fully, wholeheartedly believing the truth of God's word and what he says about you? 
or did you start believing a lie from the enemy? Because most often, the bondages, the strongholds started with a lie. And if we can identify the lie and replace it with the truth of God's word and what he says about us, it will bring deliverance and it will bring freedom in our lives and it will cause us to get from down that road back onto the path with God, walking with him. You see, we've got to recognize the tactics of the enemy. So whether it's a battle with a person or a battle within yourself or battle with circumstances, we need to realize these are spiritual battles. They are not flesh and blood battles. They are spiritual battles to be fought in the spirit realm. Therefore, we've got to be prepared for battle because a soldier would not go into battle unequipped for battle, would he? No. So verse 13 tells us, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. And then he continues on to start listing the pieces in the armor. And I want to ask you to do something this morning. I want you to think about how you would define the armor of God. If you were to explain to someone else the armor of God, how would you define it? Just, you don't need to shout it out, just within yourself. Think about what your perspective is on the armor of God. When I was growing up, I got saved at about 12 years of age, and I was in a church where there was very high value placed on confessing the word of God, which was awesome. I was so thankful for that. And there were some people in the church who would write out confessions full of scripture. And that was so awesome to me as a new believer to be able to read these verses that were promises to me. But I remember some t one time someone gave me a confession that was for the armor of God. And it said, here, read this every morning. Put on the armor of God every morning. And so I would read this confession and say this, you know, out loud. Today I put on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. And I would go on naming the pieces of the armor. But even as that young junior high student, something just didn't seem right to me. I kept wondering, just by reading this? I'm putting on the armor of God? Like, I don't even understand what all this means. So is this like a magic formula that I just read this and all of a sudden I have on the armor of God? And then I asked someone and they said, oh, well, you have to imagine yourself putting on the armor. Imagine yourself putting on the helmet, putting on the breastplate. It's like, okay. So I tried that and I'm like, just feels like the dots aren't connecting. Even as that young girl, just something seemed to be missing. And then as I grew in God and grew in the word and in maturity and started understanding the word more, my revelation of the armor of God grew to understand that it's not about just saying some magic formula. It's not about just imagining yourself putting on the armor. It's about a lifestyle. It's about the way we live. So I don't know what your definition has been in the past of the armor of God, what, what uh, 
frame of reference you have had. But I want us to see today the armor is all about the lifestyle, the way in which we live. And it's so important because it says that when we wear the armor, we will be able to stand against the enemy. Now, I want us to notice today that each piece of the armor is something that Paul has already talked about in this letter of Ephesians. It's like this is his final reminder of some of these vitally key things that he's already talked about. He says, okay, now walk in this because this is what's going to happen. And so first thing he talks about is the belt of truth. Now remember that in chapter 1 of Ephesians, we were reminded of the truth of who we are in Christ. And in chapter 4, we're told to walk in truth. So ladies, listen to this. I want you to get this revelation that when we choose to walk in the truth of who God says we are, when we have the confident assurance of his truth, of knowing what his word says about us, then that truth becomes like a piece of armor around us and the lies of the enemy will just bounce right off because we are fixed in the truth of God's word. We won't be tempted to believe the lies. Just like we were talking about a few minutes ago, the enemy comes with those lies to get us off track, to get us in bondage. But when we live in the truth of God, secure in the truth of who he says we are, it becomes that piece of armor and the lies just bounce right off and we are not tempted to get off track. Make sense? Okay, now let's look at the breastplate of righteousness. You know, chapter 4 tells us that our new nature is righteous, and we're to walk in right standing with God. You see, when we start walking in our new nature, that nature of righteousness, it becomes like a piece of armor around us, protecting us from being tempted to go back and live according to our old nature. It's powerful when we start walking in our new nature. It's not just a good thing to do. It becomes armor around us, walking in righteousness, aware of that continuously. It becomes a piece of armor that prevents us from going back and living in that old nature which the enemy will try to get us to do. It's for our protection. Make sense? All right. And then it talks about having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Some people call it wearing the shoes of peace. Do you remember in chapter 2 of Ephesians? Paul reminded us that Christ is our peace. And he came to bring peace between us and God and between us and others, between all of us. And so when we choose to walk in his peace, it becomes like a piece of armor around us that when we are tempted to pick up an offense, when we're tempted to pick up something that would bring division between us, we refuse to pick it up because it bounces off that armor and we walk forward as carriers of God's peace. 
You see, the armor, as Paul concludes this letter, he's reminding us of things that he talked about and say, if you will walk in these things, they will protect you. They will become as pieces of armor around your life. And then he talks about the shield of faith. Chapter 2 told us that we are saved by grace through our it's not a trick question. Through our faith. Yes. <laughs> and in, in chapter 3, it says that we can confidently access him by our faith. You see, our faith is what keeps us close to God. It's what keeps us connected with him, secure in him. And when we walk strong in our faith, it becomes like that shield that we are carrying that will extinguish every fiery dart of the enemy. And do you know what that word fiery literally means in the original writing? It means to be inflamed. In the context of this verse, it means to be inflamed with anger, grief, or lust. You see, the enemy is throwing darts at us, trying to get us to pick up things that we have no business carrying, things that are contrary to God's nature that he doesn't want us to carry. But when we walk strong in faith, it's as though we have that shield up and those fiery darts are extinguished and we're not tempted to pick them up. All right? And then the helmet of salvation. You know, Salvation. Paul spends most of chapters 1 and 2 talking about salvation, both from God's perspective and then also from our perspective. And when we live with that revelation that Christ saved us, that we have been adopted as children of God, that we've been chosen by him, we've been accepted by him, we've been forgiven by him, we've been set apart for his use. When we live with an awareness of that and a continual revelation of that, a growing revelation of that, it becomes a piece of armor that protects our minds, protects our thoughts from attacks of the enemy, and keeps us on track walking out our salvation daily. Because salvation is not something that just happens one time when we say a prayer. We walk our salvation out daily. So we need to live with that continual reminder of what Jesus has done for us and that we are now daughters of the King of Kings. We've been adopted and chosen by him, accepted by him. That is good news. So often I hear people say, oh, I just feel so far, far from God and, and yeah, I, I don't, sometimes I don't even know if I'm, if I'm walking with him. Ladies, when we live with a continual awareness and continually remind ourselves of what Jesus has done for us and what his word says about us, that we are accepted, we are redeemed, we are adopted, we are forgiven. It causes us to stay close to him. It protects our minds from the thoughts that would try to tell us otherwise. Amen? So when we put on those pieces of the armor, it's as though every part of our life is protected. Every part of us is covered with the armor. Oh, this guy's even taller than me. Okay. <laughs> and so we have every part of us covered from the head to feet. 
and whatever the enemy would try to send our way, it'll just bounce right off of that armor. And did you notice that it doesn't say, okay, now put on the armor and then run full speed ahead and attack the enemy? That is not what it says. It says, put on the armor and stand. Stand, therefore. It says, stand. See, we don't have to fight. When we live in Christ, in his nature, in the things that he calls us to live in, in our new nature, we can stand. And the attacks of the enemy will bounce right off. Will we still experience some difficult things in life? Sure. But we're walking in the strength of God. We're not walking in our own strength. When we're walking in the armor, we are walking in the strength of God. And he is with us every step of the way, protecting us every step of the way. And I think that is pretty good news. Don't you? All right, I'll put him right next to me. <laughs> but then it continues on. And you see, the pieces that we've already talked about, they're the pieces of defensive armor. They defend us against the attacks of the enemy. But then it talks about a couple of offensive pieces, weapons that we've been given. It talks about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God. That's the same weapon that Jesus himself used in the garden when the enemy was attacking him. When the enemy was tempting him, he responded every time with the word of God. If the word of God was the only weapon that Jesus himself needed, the word of God is the weapon that we need. And we need to know the word. That's why we're doing this series with the word being a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, digging into the word, to know the word more. Because the word is a weapon against the enemy. We need to know what the word says. And then it talks about prayer. In verse 18, it says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Did you know that prayer is also a weapon? Jesus was in continuous conversation with the Father. That's prayer. He was talking to God, praying. And it tells us here that we should have all kinds of prayer. Did you know that there's so many different kinds of prayer? There's prayers of faith, prayers of agreement, prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of consecration, prayer and fasting. There's all kinds of prayer. We should have all kinds of prayer, it tells us. And then it talks about supplication, which is another word for prayer, bringing our requests to God. And it says to have that prayer in the spirit. Ladies, did you know that when we don't know how to pray for a situation, the Holy Spirit can pray through us? It's what we call being baptized in the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit comes upon us. You see, when we come into relationship with God, the Holy Spirit comes in us to abide in us. But then there is a second baptism where the Holy Spirit will come upon us to empower us just like he did in the upper room in the book of Acts. And the Bible tells us that all believers, all of us, can have this gift, the Holy Spirit coming upon us to empower us and to give us 
this prayer language where we speak in other tongues. It's different than the gift of tongues in a group setting where there's interpretation of that. This is a personal prayer language. And the Bible tells us that when we pray in the Spirit, we are praying the perfect will of God. I've got to tell you, there are some times that I don't know how to pray. I, I don't know how to pray for particular situations, but I can pray in the Spirit and be confident that I am praying the perfect will of God. I am so thankful for that. In 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 15, Paul, who's writing this letter, he says, I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with understanding. And so here in Ephesians, he's telling us, pray. Prayer is a weapon. Pray all kinds of prayers with the understanding. Pray in the Spirit. And then he says, be watchful to this end, continually praying for ourselves, praying for each other. To what end? until we have come to the place that we are allowing God to flood through us and do what he wants to do through us as his body on the earth today. And as long as we are here on this earth, we are always going to be maturing in that. We are always going to be growing in that. So as long as we are here, we need to be praying. We need to be praying for ourselves. We need to be praying for each other. It's such a powerful tool that he has given us. And so this letter of Ephesians that Paul, Paul thought he was just writing this to the churches in Ephesus and those surrounding areas, but God had a different plan. And God chose that this letter would speak these same things to all of us from generation after generation after generation. And today, in 2017, to us. He's speaking to us through the letter of Ephesians. And he's saying, okay, in this setting, hey girls, you're my daughters. And I've got plans for you. So don't ever forget who you are in Christ. He wants us to let him do all that he desires in us, to work in us so that he can work through us, uniting us as his body. We are the body of Christ on this earth. We are the church of Jesus Christ. And his purpose is that we'd be so united, walking in love, repelling every attack of the enemy, refusing anything that would bring division of any kind so that he can be seen magnificently through us collectively. That's his plan. And I want to conclude today with two verses that we looked at in Ephesians 3. In verse 20 it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Did you know God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think? He wants to do more through us than we have any idea. And then it says, according to the power that works within us. He will do abundant, exceeding, amazing things through us according to the power that we allow to be at work within us. Let's let him work within us so that he can work through us. And then it tells us why. 
to him be glory, to bring glory to God on this earth that others would see him. To him be glory, where? In the church, in all of us, that we would bring him glory by Christ Jesus working in us, us living in him, so that it will impact all generations forever and ever. That's his purpose. See, our lives are never just about us. He wants us to be united as his body. And as we do that, we will leave a legacy that will impact generations to come. Amen? As we conclude this study through Ephesians today, you know what I want us to do? I want us to take a moment and just pray from our hearts a prayer of consecration before God, just a prayer of surrender to God. And a prayer of consecration or surrender can only be prayed personally. No one can pray that for you. And so I'm going to pray personally for myself. And I want you, in your own heart, in your own words, to pray similarly as you would what's in your heart. And let's together just consecrate our lives before God afresh anew today to be the women that he created us to be to be his church on the earth today. Can we do that? Father, right now, we just come to you. God, I just thank you for your presence in this place. God, I'm so grateful for your word, that your word truly is alive. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. God, I'm so grateful for it. Thank you for showing us how to walk how to live, how to navigate relationships so that you would be glorified. And God, right now, I just surrender myself to you. And God, it is the cry and desire of my heart that you would do all that you want to do through me, through my life, God. God, that I would truly live with an awareness of who I am in you, not forgetting that, not setting that aside for a moment. And God, that I would live in Christ, walking out every day, walking out my relationships daily in a way that you would be seen, a way that you would be magnified, in a way that that prevents me from ever picking up offense or anything that would bring division because God, I wanna live pursuing peace as a carrier of peace united with your body. And God, that's the cry and the prayer of my heart that we would unite like never ever before, God. So that you could flood through us so that you could be revealed to the world around us more fully, God. May you be seen through me, but God, may you be seen through us collectively in this world today, Father. Oh, may we be women who reveal you to this world. Do all that you want to do in and through me and through us, I pray, God. In Jesus' name.
in Jesus' name. Amen. And Father, ladies, just keep your heads bowed for just a moment. Ladies, maybe there's some of you in this place right now that that you, this is all new to you. Maybe you didn't even know that you could have your own personal relationship with God, that he had plans and purposes for your life. He does. He does, he does, and his arms are open wide to you today, and he just wants to walk out every day with you. You don't have to do life on your own. He wants to walk with you. And if you want to surrender your life to him and begin life with him, in him today, that is the greatest decision you can make. Don't put it off a moment longer. If you haven't already made that decision, I encourage you to do that today. And we are just going to pray a simple prayer together. And as we pray, I want to ask you to pray this with us and to wrap your heart around these words. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you're my Father that you sent Jesus to die for me so that I could live in relationship with you. And right now I surrender all to you. I choose to stop trying to do life on my own. I wanna walk with you. Help me to grow in you daily. I choose to live for you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Can we just give a hand to those who made that decision today? If you made that decision today, we just want to give you a little tool to help you get started walking with God. And at your tables, the Table Connector has just some little books called The Next Seven Days. It's just a simple little tool to help you understand relationship with God. And we'd love to give that to you today. Before we change the order of things, just a few really quick things. First of all, you saw in Chick News, remember, after today, we are on spring break for three weeks, okay? And uh, we do have one, three, I should, let me say that again. We are on spring break for three Tuesdays, and we have one Monday night in the middle. So make sure you've got your little cards with the calendar on the back. And on Monday, the last Monday of this month, come out because we have a great evening planned. I'm really excited. Bring your girlfriends who can't normally come on a Tuesday morning. And then when we resume on Tuesday mornings in April, we will be starting a study in the book of Philippians, which is going to be awesome. Okay? So that was the first thing. Second thing, I want you to have the remainder of your time at your tables to talk about what God has spoken to you throughout this series in Ephesians. However, I also want to ask that maybe there's some of you here today, and let me, this is really important, so let me just have your attention just for one more minute. Maybe there's some of you today, and towards the end of the message, as I was sharing with you about praying in the Spirit and being baptized in the Holy Spirit, maybe you just felt the Spirit of God just tugging on your heart. And maybe you want that. Maybe you want to know more about that. I would love to have the opportunity to pray with you and just to share a little bit more about that. And so 
right now, just immediately when we dismiss, I want you to ask you, if that's you, just to quickly join me over in this side room with the double doors right here in our prayer room. And I just want to share a little bit more with you and pray with you all together. So quickly come in there if that is you, if you would like to experience that. And then for the rest of you, enjoy your time at your table. Share what God has spoken to you through this series because I know he has spoken to all of us. Love you girls so much.